0: Well, good morning, morning. and welcome to Bridgewater. We are glad you're here. Uh, My name is Matt, for those of you who don't know, and I have the joy and honor of being the campus pastor here. Uh, And it is the end of fair week, so I pray your coffee is strong. And I will talk quickly so you don't fall asleep on me. Uh, We had a great time at the fair, really enjoyed it. Uh, Only two of you tried to find me and rescue me from the goats, so I'm going to hold the rest of you uh, accountable for that. Uh, We had a great time. At one point, I was trying to find Jocko, and I found him, plopped, uh, he's my uh, 20-month old, plopped in the middle of the path, sitting there, strollers, people, chaos, children, goats, just looking around going, Oh, Uh, So one of us had a really good time at the fair. I'm just kidding. We all had a good time at the fair. Uh, But hey, we are in our series vision, uh, just looking at at the end of the summer about what we do and why we do it and what we believe God has called us to do and be as a church. Uh, And so if you are new to Bridgewater or new to the faith, maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, what you're getting through this series really is an inside scoop on what we ought to be doing, and you get to hold us accountable and see how we're doing on that. Uh, And for the rest of us, it is a reminder that uh, we don't just show up here on Sunday and then leave. We have been commissioned and called by Jesus uh, to carry out a mission that he started when he came uh, to earth, and we've been looking at different core values of ours. or There's five key statements that help us uh, determine what we believe are the most important things were to focus on and so last week Now, we talked about everybody had a next step, and we talked through that specifically in regards to baptism, the next step of following Jesus, and you got to see people uh, do that publicly, which was awesome. Uh, And then this week, we're going to again look at everybody has a next step, but from a little bit uh, different of a perspective uh, this morning. As we jump into it, though, I want to look at what Jesus said to the followers, his closest followers, his disciples, right before he left, the last thing he gave them, which was the mission and the goal that uh, has been passed down to us as the church church, but not just us as the church as an organization and not just me as a pastor, but it really has been given to each and every individual follower of Jesus, young, old, rich, poor, it doesn't matter if you claim the name of Jesus as your personal Savior, this job has been given to you. And so let's go ahead and look at it. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all Nations. That is the, that is it. That is the job that has been given to you, has been given to me, has been given to anybody who follows Jesus that we would go into the world and that we would make other followers of Jesus, which is what disciples means. It is a, somebody who chooses to make Jesus their Lord and Savior and follow Him with their life. That is our goal. That is your goal. Well, the question then is how? I'm glad you ask, because Jesus answers it. (laughs) Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? Or to teach them to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and then go public with their faith, declaring to the world around them, the old man is dead, the new man has come, Christ brings new life, right? That is what we've been told. So that's what we did last week was help uh, some people take those next steps. But that's not where it ends. That's not all we're required to do to make disciples. Here's the next piece, verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The second piece is that not only are we to help people go public with their faith, we're to help people know their Savior better. We're to help people understand what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to obey his commands, what it is that he even commands of us, and that we would begin to live a life of obedience uh, to that. Now Ephesians chapter 4 tells me very clearly that my job as a pastor is equipped to equip you to do the work of ministry. So what we just read is not a pastor's job description, it is a Christian's job description. My job description is to help you fulfill that, which is what we want to do today. I want to give you some really practical tools. Today is going to be much more of a conversation as we just look at how do you fulfill uh, what God may be calling you, not maybe, what God is calling you to do, which is to invest in the lives of other people. And it starts with this question. Is your next step to help somebody else take their next step? As we talk about next steps, so often we consider what we have to do, what we're doing, what is next in my journey, and that is great, that is a piece of it, but we are also called uh, that our next step will most likely involve helping other people take their next step. Because if we read what Jesus just said in Matthew 28, the life of of a Christ follower is invested in the lives of other people. And so uh, it will be very likely at a a point in your journey that God is going to call you to help some other people grow in their faith. And so we're going to talk about that today. How do you help the people around you grow uh, in their faith? We're going to look at an example out of the book of 2 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to spend our whole time in 2 Timothy. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands for free back out at the Welcome Center. But what's happening here in 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul uh, who was one of the, the original followers of Jesus. And in, in fact, actually early on in his life, he didn't follow Jesus. He persecuted Christians. Um, he, he imprisoned them. But Christ radically appeared to him. Uh, he got saved and ended up living one of the most revolutionary lives for Jesus. Uh, spread the good news all around. And this letter that he is writing is to uh, a young man named Timothy, and you can actually see in Second Timothy verse, chapter 2 verse 1, he says, you then, my son, and he refers to him as his son, but he's not actually his biological son. The best we can tell, Paul didn't have any children of his own, um, but he came and found Timothy when he was a young teenager, and ended up uh, kind of bringing him along and investing in him from a very young age. Um, he heard about faith from his grandparents, and then he helped him grow to understand and know God, and he followed him as he traveled around the Roman Empire basically planning churches. He was his kind of right hand man and and the guy he handed things off to. Well, when Paul is writing this letter, it's near the end of his life. Um, It's about probably 66 AD, probably somewhere in there. Um, He is imprisoned again for preaching the gospel, and this is um, going to be the very last letter we ever have from Paul, the last recorded letter. Most of the New Testament that you read are letters from Paul to either other church leaders, but this is the last one. Um, And he's writing to to Timothy, kind of knowing he's going to die. And the nature of this letter, he's a little depressed. Um, he said basically all of his friends have deserted him. Uh, Demas had left him. Luke, the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was visiting him occasionally. Uh, and he begs twice for Timothy to come visit him. He said, come before winter. Please come quickly. Right? Paul never made it out of that prison. Uh, He was beheaded in that that situation in 68 AD. So what we have here are his last and final words. And as you consider what a man who basically transformed the empire of Rome with Christianity, what are the last words he's going to say to a guy before he dies? Well, we, we get to read that. But I think as you consider it, what he might have easily said was, don't follow me, you'll end up like me, right? But that's not what he says. In fact, I want you to read this. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Let's see uh, how he lays out for Timothy what he wants him to do, which is really to carry the torch and continue the work that Jesus started, that Paul continued, that Timothy would also continue this work. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ. Jesus. This is just a little Bible reading tip. Sometimes when you read the Bible, um, you can just get so used to seeing Christian words, grace and Jesus, that you just kind of skip right past it because it just seems very ritual to read it, but you have to slow down because there's such good truth in there. I want you to see this. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace. As you're considering discipling somebody and helping somebody take their next step, there's so many things you can be strong in, right? We can be strong in Bible reading. We can be strong in church attendance. We can be strong in small groups. We can be strong in all these good church things and completely miss what is at the center of uh, what we believe, which is that the grace of Jesus transforms everything. That all of those things, apart from the grace of Jesus, amount to nothing. And so as he's speaking to Timothy, who's dealing with some difficult situations in some churches, that he says, be strong in grace. Be strong in the fact that we deserved nothing good. Be strong in the fact, when you're speaking to people, that the only way they get out of the situation is if Jesus steps into the situation and pays the debt. They would be strong in grace. As you consider discipling people, there's a lot of things maybe you're passionate about. Particular diets or governmental conspiracies or all of those things, right? And it's so tempting to be strong in those, but we've missed the heart of the gospel, which is grace. Then he says this other really important thing for him. Strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As you consider discipling someone or helping them take their next steps, there's this temptation to be the expert, Right? You have to have all the answers, you have to know all the things, you have to be a Bible expert, you feel like you can't have questions of your own, and that's just not true. And in fact, that's probably has what has been what has kept many of you from discipling other people, is that fear of not being an expert. But that's, that's not the case. See, we're not called to make people strong in us. We're not called to make followers of us. We're not called to make people who look like us. We're called to make people who are strong in Jesus. I'm not called to be Jesus to anybody, even as your pastor. I am not your savior. And to think that will be detrimental to both of us. What I need is to help point you to Jesus. What you need is to say, I don't have all the answers, but I know someone who does, and his name is Jesus. Let's go there together and find that out. Which is great news for those of you who feel intimidated. Right? Right? It is it is it is great news because you can say I'm just one beggar pointing another beggar to where the bread is, right? And for those of us who think we're really smart and a really good expert, it's kind of a good gut check for us. We don't have to be the answer man. We don't have to be the people run to. We point them that they would run to Jesus. So those are some key foundations for us that we would be strong in the grace of the gospel. That none of us deserve anything good apart from God's goodness in our life, and that. That source is found not in us, but in Jesus. So with those two things laid, the question then becomes, who do you invest in? Who do you spend your time with? Because if you're anything like me, your life is surrounded with people. There's people all around you who, who you could invest in, who you could spend time with, who you could engage with, be it your kids, family members. And because of social media, there's kind of this faux connection to so many people out there that we can feel we, we need to be involved in. Well, how do you choose? That seems super overwhelming. Well, good news is Paul tells Timothy exactly how he has determined who he invests in in verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. He says, All right, Timothy, when you're picking people, pick reliable people. And th- that seems a little interesting when you first read it, but he's saying basically pick somebody who picks up the phone and calls you back. <laughs> Pick somebody who texts you back. Pick somebody who is taking responsibility for their own spiritual journey. What he is not saying is go find people who want nothing to do with obeying Jesus or following Jesus and try to twist their arm into following Jesus, right? We've been around people who, and frankly, there's people who attend church, and I'm not saying it's any of you, um, who, who come to church every week and have no desire to own their own spiritual walk, They have no desire to change, no desire to repent, no desire for God's word to transform their life. They're just doing it because probably somebody made them. What Paul is saying to Timothy is find somebody who's ready to to take on responsibility for their own spiritual journey because otherwise you'll want it more than they do and you'll just get frustrated at them. So pick reliable people. And then the next piece to it um, is this, that we would pick people who are also qualified to teach others. And you read that and that sounds daunting, right? Like I have to I have to teach a pastor, (laughs) right? Like I can't do that, right? I I don't I I think that is part of it, but I also think pick people who want to invest in other people. I think if I could say that simply. Pick people who have a desire for the good things that they're learning, not to to terminate on them, but to overflow on to others, right? Like, you know when you found a product you really, really love or a thing in life that you really, really love because you try to get all your friends to buy it, right? Like, you're just all about it. I bought a robot vacuum a couple years ago. Then I was telling everybody about this robot vacuum. It was like 99 bucks, and I was like, this is the best 100 bucks of my life. And they're like, "Why?" I'm like, I hate vacuuming. And I just, on a schedule, it just kind of does its own thing. And a couple of people bought vacuums after that, right? Like I was passionate about it, and I talked about it. In the same way, when you look for people to disciple, find people who are going to get passionate about Jesus. They're going to be so radically moved by what he's done in their life that they can't help but tell other people. See, you catch that? want to make disciples who make disciples. There was a young man I discipled for about five years before God moved me out of the country that I was in. And about two years in, I had been saying, hey, um, you got to start passing this on to other people. You got to start talking to other people about it. Oh, I'm shy. I'm this and that and the other thing. About two years in, I looked at him and said, um, if you don't find somebody else to invest in, this is our last meeting. And he was like, what? He's just shocked by my bluntness. And I said, I, I don't know what to tell you. This is what your next step is. You have been called to do this. Um, so let's go do this. And he was really, really, really mad at me. And then, like three months later, he came back and was like, You're right. I was being selfish. There's people all around me that need to know and love Jesus. And he started investing in people. And now he is one of the biggest evangelists I know. He's always talking about the goodness of Jesus. He's leading small groups. He's a leader in his church. Well, what did it take? it took a reminder that we're not here for us. We're here that we may be vessels of the glory of God to others for their good. Next question is, okay, I've picked my person. They seem reliable. They seem like they want to pass it on. What do I say? Right? Like It seems so awkward, and what do we talk about? Well, what, what do you say? Great news. Timothy already answered that for us in the beginning of verse two. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people. What he's referring to is, Timothy, you've heard me preach the gospel over and over and over again. You've heard me defend Jesus. You've heard me talk about the goodness and grace of God. That's all you have to impart to people, the gospel, the good news that Jesus changes everything. That's it. Now, Timothy had a distinct advantage of spending 10 plus years walking alongside Paul. We don't have the advantage of 10 years with an apostle But we have something better. In fact, 2 Peter tells us that we have the Word of God, which is a more reliable witness. We have everything we need for life and godliness in this book, and you get unlimited time with it. You have as much time as you want to find all of the things that God reveals about himself in here, and that's all we're to teach, right? That we would simply spend most of our time talking about what most of the Bible talks about. Again, there can be this temptation to, like, impress somebody with some really cool knowledge about the Bible or, like, go to some weird end time stuff and, like, really wow them and spend all your time there. Spend most of your time talking about what most of the Bible talks about, which is what? What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And Jesus himself said the whole law is summarized in two things, love God, love others. Is that complicated? Now, I think most of us could probably help other people love God more and love others more. And if we looked at the lens of Scripture and looked at the lens of discipling through those two lenses and said, how can I help you love God more and how can I help you love others more? I think a lot of us would feel a lot more confident in helping disciple others people. It's just that simple. But there's another thing in this verse that I think is really important. I just mentioned this recently, but I think it's worth coming back to. While in discipleship, we teach information and we teach you the Word of God so you know what it says, that's not the end in itself. The end is that you would learn that information that you would then obey it, right? So, so it's not necessarily just, oh, we had a discipleship, meaning we, we learned a bunch of stuff about the Bible, but it didn't change our lives. No, we're meant to obey and respond to Scripture. They say the old saying is, a lot more is caught than taught. Well, that's true, right? It is important that we teach, but the lifestyles we live, for those that we're trying to help take their next steps, are just as important. right? They're watching your life and how you're living and taking notes on that and seeing if it matches what you say. Right? My 20-month-old already confronted me on this the other day. He can barely speak, and he's already confronting me. It's great. So we're standing there brushing our teeth, and he's brushing his teeth, and I'm brushing my teeth. Okay, he's sucking toothpaste off a toothbrush. I'm brushing my teeth. <laughs> and I, I said, Okay, Jocko, you gotta sit. Because the rule is when he brushes his teeth, he has to sit, because he doesn't look where he's going. And a toothbrush in that kid's mouth is a terrible plan for his long term health, okay? So I said, Jocko, you gotta sit and brush your teeth. And he goes, No, dada up. Jocko up. And I was like, No, Jocko, sit and brush your teeth. No, dada up. Jocko, no, sit. And I was like, Oh. He just called me on his own rule. Daddy has to sit while he's brushing his teeth because Jocko has to sit while he's brushing his teeth. So there I sat on my bathroom floor brushing my teeth, and I thought, this is so true of life. People can hear us say things all the time, and until they see us live it, it means nothing. Discipleship happens over meals, and it it happens over books, and it happens over conversations and coffee. But primarily, some of the most impactful discipleship moments happen splitting firewood, doing dishes, inviting people into your space, and saying, here's what it looks like to love God and love others in the context of family. That, that's just, it's just that simple. But how do you approach it? Right? How, how, how do you approach it? That's really our third question. You know who you're picking. You kind of know what you should say. Say the things the Bible says. How do you, how do you approach this conversation? Well, it starts with conversations. Don't make it weird. Don't make it awkward. Just begin to ask some questions. Get to know the person. If you already know them, uh, move beyond shallow questions and ask some better questions. So I actually have uh, a whole bunch up here. I would not recommend asking all of these. It'll feel like an FBI interrogation. Um, But pick some that maybe one a week or a couple a week and just begin to see where the conversation goes. So I want to read some of these to you. Uh, If you have a pen, go ahead and write these down. There should be a note section on the communication card in front of you. You can put it in your phone or take a picture of these. Uh, these are good to even ask your spouse or ask an accountability partner. What has God been teaching you lately is the first question. What has God been teaching you? We, we always want to be learners. We want to know that we haven't arrived. We don't have all the information. What's something new that God has been teaching you lately? Here's the second question. What is something new you have learned from your time in the Word? Now, the question, or the phrasing of this one is important. I'm not asking, are you reading your Bible, right? Because you could say, yep. Okay, for you, that could mean the verse of the day popped up on your notification and you read it while you're sitting at a stoplight, all right? That's not the question I'm asking. The question I'm asking is, are you engaging with the Word? Are you opening it up? Are you sitting in front of it? Is it examining your heart? Are you sitting and responding to it, right? Right? What have you been learning that is new in the word of God uh, lately? Here's the next one. Uh, how are you in Jesus? I love this question because it makes people like thrown off a little bit. Like, what, what do you mean how, how am I in Jesus? Well, think with me here for a second. We're not calling people to duty and religion and a list of things. We're called to lead people into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And so this question really is meant to ask, how is your relationship with Jesus? Are you communing with him in prayer? Are you listening to him through your word? Are you engaging? How do you think Jesus feels about your week? That's a question that will get you going. I think he's really disappointed in me. Awesome. Let's talk about why you feel that way and what scripture would have to say about that. right. He feels distant. Okay, let's talk about why he feels distant. I haven't thought about him at all. Okay, how'd your spouse feel if you hadn't thought about him all week, right? Like it it begins to get the relationship conversation going with you and Jesus, which is our next question because it's love God, love others. How are your relationships? How's your marriage? How are you doing in forgiveness? How are you doing in walking and gentleness and kindness, right? Whatever it is, how are you doing in your relationships? Next part of relationships is, is who are you investing in? As you consider the people that God has put in your life, who is it? Now, don't ask the question, are you investing in someone? Because they could say yes, and in the back of their mind, they're justifying their conversation with the person at the checkout counter as somebody they were investing in. Now, who are you investing in? What are their names? What are you doing with them? What material are you covering with them? What are you teaching them? Right? It gets this conversation to actually have skin in the game. How are you doing in your fight against sin? It was a great question. Um, You may get some honesty here. You might not get some honesty here. How are you doing in your fight against sin? Next question is kind of related to that. Is there an area in your life you're struggling in? Now, sometimes after asking this question, they may be honest about the previous question (laughs) when they start saying, well, I'm good, but you know, it's just this one thing and you find out this one thing has four things underneath it. Great, have a conversation around it. Then this this is probably one of my favorite ones. What is God asking you to do that you don't want to do? What is God asking you to do that you don't want to do? Uh, the, what's the word? The fearful Christian will go, oh, no, nothing. I'm good. Following Jesus. We're good. The honest Christian is go, man, there's four things and I really don't want to do them. And I know he's right. And I'm just, him struggling. Great. How can I help you? Because we're trying to make each other strong in grace in Jesus, right? I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to point you to Jesus because He can give you the strength to do whatever it is God is calling you to do. Some some questions for you. I hope they're helpful. Um, if I hear you start asking me them, I won't be upset. That's fine. I appreciate that. So. I want to end with how how Paul ends this section. And he basically gives Timothy three word pictures. He gives him three word pictures that I think help kind of paint what um, kind of the mindset or the motive should be as you approach these conversations, as you seek to uh, invest in somebody. He gives three word pictures. So let's go ahead and read them uh, together. Verse 3, join with me in suffering, which I think is interesting. Paul, chained to a prison cell, doesn't say, run for your life, Timothy. He says, Timothy, this is difficult. This is worth it. Come join me. We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, um, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. He he gives his first picture, which is this. Be like a soldier. Don't get sidetracked. As you consider a soldier and and what they do, they know their commands come from on high. They don't really consider disobeying them. They know disobeying them is a matter of life and death for, for them and for the people around them, and their goal is obedience. They aim to please their commanding officers, and I think in the same way for us as Christians, sometimes we forget that our ultimate allegiance is not to our own self or our own desires. Our ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus. He's the shock caller. He's the one in charge, and it's his mission of reaching the world with, with good news. And so disobedience, in a soldier's mind, would be, would be crazy because they know the, the, the consequences. And it seems hard to say that word, but they understand life or death. And I think at times we forget that we're dealing with life and death too. The conversations we do or do not have could be the eternal difference in somebody's life. There's things at stake here. Don't get sidetracked into all of the other things that the world would want us to get sidetracked with. Be focused. Here's the second picture. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The second one is that of an athlete. Don't cut corners. Be like an athlete. As you consider an athlete, um, you can watch on the field who shows up to practice and who doesn't show up to practice, right? Anybody coaching kids, even at a younger age, you can tell who's putting in the work and who's not putting in the work. We'll just put it that way, right? You can see this even bigger on the Olympic stage. As you consider an Olympic athlete, I think they are some of the most disciplined, self-controlled, model-type people that you could follow because they're up before anybody else is up. They're working when nobody else is working. They're improving. They're not putting things in their life that would keep them from their goals. They're choosing to not eat this because they have their goals, whatever it might be. Why? Because they're competing for something really important in their mind. Have you ever seen an athlete get disqualified? Like they're crushed by it. I think the same is true for us. That we would be focused, that we would be self disciplined, that we wouldn't be lazy in our spiritual walks, that we would cut things out that are not helping us towards our goal, and that we would help do that for others, that we wouldn't cut corners. Here's the third one The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. He he uses the picture of a farmer, which I think is one of the best uh, analogies you could go for discipleship. Because here's the thing about a farmer a farmer tills the soil. Plants the seed, puts fertilizer, he waters it. it. Try as he might, he cannot make that corn grow. He can't. He cannot make anything grow out of the ground. Now he can cultivate the soil. He can create an environment. He can put a fence up to protect. He can nourish it, but he can't force it to grow. And the same is true of discipleship. You can create environments for people. You can cultivate soil. You can protect them from dangers they can't see. You can nourish them with love and encouragement. You cannot make that person grow, and you don't have to. Why? Because it is up to them and Jesus to begin to grow. But it also requires incredible patience. That conversation I had with that young man took two years before it found teeth. It wasn't until six months later that he actually started following it and we started meeting again. Now, I could have written him off. I didn't. I was being intentional. I could have written him off, but I didn't. I was patient. And I was waiting. And now I get to enjoy getting reports from him of all the great things God is doing. I get to see the fruit of the labor that I only had a piece of because Jesus is the one ultimately that matters, which is our third one, that we'd be uh, patient and enjoy the fruit. We would watch God change lives. I want to read the very last thing that, that, Timothy, or that Paul says to Timothy. and I think it's really interesting how he chooses to end this. Let's read it together, verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. It would have been really easy for Paul, and maybe you would feel tempted to say, if you have any questions, here's my number. Feel, feel free to reach out to me. He didn't set himself up as the answer man. He said, no, no, no go to Jesus. If you have questions, go to the Father. <laughs> He'll help you. He'll be your anchor point. He'll be your center. And like what a what a beautiful picture that he leaves us with. That even Timothy, he says, I'm not your guy. Jesus is your guy. Run to him. So what, do we, what do we do with this? Well, there's a lot of good stuff in here, but it can seem like big and overwhelming. So I want to put some practical things in your hand as you walk out the door. If you walk out empty-handed, that's a bummer because I want to put a lot of things in your hand on the way out that would help you help somebody else take their next step. If you're in a season of life where you're discipling little kids, maybe your children or other children, and you have a lot of investment in them, that's a great place to start. If you Start with your kids and move on to other people. Don't just end with your kids, but you can start there. Um, If you have young kids, the Rhyme Bible is a great place uh, to start. Just get your kids uh, from a young age, pre-K and under, interested in the Bible. Um, This is really cool. This is, yeah. Sometimes I'll walk around the corner and I'll just see Jocko sitting there reading his Bible, and he doesn't know the difference from one book to another. But it just makes my heart happy every time I see. He's got a little Jesus story book. Um, Anyway, that one's free. Uh, God times. Little dad moment there. Um, God Times are free daily devotionals. You can grab those uh, from the Kids Wing as well. Uh, great, great tool for any age group. Uh, the Action Bible is really good for first through fifth graders. It's a comic book. Uh, great, great conversations coming out of that. I encourage you to pick up that. If you're looking for a devotional, uh, Indescribable by Louis Giglio is a great one for that age group. Uh, and then this one's really important. If you have a phone or a computer or your neighbor has a phone or a computer, um, download the ParentQ app. It, this is a really cool app, and basically what you do um, is you put your kids' ages in, and then it gives you age-appropriate help, age-appropriate devotions, and age-appropriate advice. Um, so if you're dealing with a second grader and an eighth grader, it, it gives you different things for those kids so you can kind of know, um, how to how to interact with them, and it also follows uh, what they're learning in the back there. So you'll be able to get some of that information from there as well. Okay, if you have teenagers, uh, we ran out of them, but there's a sign-up sheet at the back. On-track devotionals are a great resource. Uh, young adults and kids um, use these; they're really really helpful. I've seen parents uh, read them alongside their kids, so they kind of know what their kids are learning, and they go together as a great resource. You can sign up for those. And then small groups. I know Luke talked about it, but these are incredibly important. Um, as you consider Timothy's situation, Paul was telling him to go invest in other people, but also he had had Paul investing in him for 10 years, right? Like it's not just all about giving. It's, a, it's about learning from somebody. And if it's valuable for this person to be discipled by you, it's valuable for you to be discipled by somebody else. And that's a great uh, thing that happens in small groups, Right? As you go into a small group, there's somebody there who is most likely further along in the spiritual journey than you are. They've, they've hit a few bumps in the road bef- uh, before you. It's great. Have conversations with them. Ask questions. They can help you grow. And I bet there's somebody in your small group who hasn't gone as far as you have. That you might be farther down the road spiritually. You get to come alongside of them and help them. It's not just a social hangout time, though that is true, It's an environment we try to create for you to grow together in following Jesus and making more disciples and helping people grow in their next steps. We'd love for you to be connected to one. If you're looking to um, help an adult through discipleship, we've been talking about this a lot, there's foundation booklets out there, a mentorship guide, uh, and then the YouVersion Bible app. If you uh, prefer technology, you can do a Bible reading plan with somebody, you can create conversations. Uh, Why do I give you this list? I give you this list and have this conversation to say there's no excuse (laughs) There, there really isn't. You, you've been given every resource you need to be able to have spiritual conversations with other people and follow the command that's been given to you by Jesus. Here, here's four things for you as we close. This is it. This is what I want you to do today. Pick a person. This week, who's it gonna be? Who are you going to begin to invest in? If you're here and you're a brand new believer and you don't even know where the book of Matthew or Mark is or that there's other gospels, you know, a great place to start your non-Christian friends because you know that Jesus saved you. You know he radically changed your life. Go find some people who don't know that yet and you know how to share that with them. So pick a person. Maybe you're only a year into the faith. Find a brand new believer and begin to invest in them. There's definitely somebody out there. Next, point them to Jesus. Not to yourself, point them to Jesus. Teach them to obey God's word. And then the fourth one, watch God change lives, including your own. Whenever I have a seasoned Christian tell me they're bored, tell me they, they've learned it all, they've been in the classes, oh, pastor, I've heard that sermon a couple times before, I say, okay, you know why you're bored? Because you're not on mission. You're only bored because you're not investing in somebody. If you were investing in people's lives, you'd all of a sudden realize there's a bunch of stuff you haven't learned yet. <laughs> You were investing in people's lives. You've all of a sudden learned there's questions that people are wrestling through that you haven't ever thought of, right? If you trained me for military to to go fight and I trained my whole life for it and then you left me in the barracks for 20 years, I'd go crazy. Why? Because I wasn't on mission. And so there really should be no Christians that are bored with the Bible or bored with church because we should be so invested in people that are causing us to grow. And can I tell you, every time I intentionally reach in to disciple somebody, I realize there's a whole bunch of stuff I gotta work on. There's a whole bunch of stuff I have to grow in, but my life gets changed by discipling other people as well. So pick a person this week, begin the conversation. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and... We thank you so much because I stand here today, and I know almost every person stands here today as a product of somebody else investing their time in me, somebody investing their time in them, somebody inviting them to church, somebody giving them their first Bible, somebody asking spiritual questions, God, that we are all here because someone did this for us. And I pray that we would be the type of people who want to share the best news ever with everybody we come in contact with, share the life-changing power of Jesus. But we need your help, we need your courage, and we need your spirit to empower us to, to, to move past the barriers and to begin to follow you in obedience, the command you gave us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus, help us be lights as we help other people find you and follow you.